0: Welcome to Celebrity Book Club, the podcast where we read the memoirs of pop culture icons so you don't have to. I'm Carrie and I'm Kara, and today's book is A Life in Parts by Brian Cranston. Oh, this is the season of white men, apparently. <laughs> it really is. This is the third one, right? The third yeah, white third this I've season, read, and I think we've done... We did a White Man in season one, right? Matthew McConaughey. Uh, that was a whole season ago? I think so. Wow. I know. I, it feels... I feel like we just read Matthew McConaughey. Same. No, because Airstream culture was prevalent in both Abby Jacobson and Matthew McConaughey, and we were... And Abby Jacobson's Airstream culture was fine. It was then. more acceptable to you. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That seems fair. Well... This book was, in fact, in parts. There's not really like longer chapters. It's sort of just like shorter blurbs. Interesting. But it is chronological. Okay. And I learned a lot about one Mr. Brian Cranston. Wow. Well, you have hinted to me in previous conversations that this book was more interesting than you expected it to be. It absolutely was. I didn't really know anything about him outside of his work. Correct. Yeah. Same here. I said, correct. Like I, like that was a yes or no judgment right. call. But I learned a lot. And I would say the first third of this book was some of the most interesting celebrity memoir that I've read. Wow. Yeah. And then- Can't wait it, to hear about those other two thirds. I mean, not that they were uninteresting. It's, Did those other two thirds coincide with uh, Mr. Walter White's existence? Uh, the, the third third does. And the second third is, um, it's Malcolm in the middle. There's yes, there's parts of that. Um, but it's also just like a lot of his life before that. And like when he was living in New York and interesting, just some like interesting, interesting things about his life. He has lived a life before we get too into the person that is Brian Cranston and our opinions on both him and his roles. I'd love to hear from you since this book had a third of the most interesting memoir you've ever read. I would love to know from you, Kara, what this book, A Life in Parts, was about in 60 seconds. You think you can do that? I definitely can. Your time starts now. A Life in Parts by Brian Cranston is just that. Brian Cranston's life chronologically from then to now. Um, He starts with his transient childhood with um, his kind but manic father and an eventually distant mother. Um, He talks about his um, road tripping and travels with his brother, his dabbling in law enforcement before he decided he wanted to become an actor, um, his fractured but pretty good acting training coupled with some good analytical instincts, um, how he got started in acting, um, his various and often fraught relationships pre-meeting his wife. Meeting his wife, becoming a father, um, his breakout roles on Knock Him in the Middle and Breaking Bad. I say breakout, but, like, he was very established by then. Um, dealing with being, like, a celebrity celebrity at 50 and making peace with his fractured family. Wow. Here are my big takeaways. Okay. He was a cop? He, okay, so <clears throat> his brother was part of this, like, like ROTC, but for law enforcement Oh program in high school. So and narcs. So just like yes. The worst kids in high school. Yes. But the reason that these kids did this program was because you got to travel. And so they went to Europe and stuff. Narcs who travel. That was it, what it was called, I assume, is NWT, yes. Narcs Who Travel. Uh-huh. So like the first year that his brother did his brother got to go to like Hawaii. And then the second year he joined, he and his brother went with a group of kids to Europe. That sucks. What a what a like so, like What's while the, he was trying to figure out like what he wanted to do with his life, that's he was grooming, like grooming, that's conditioning, that's like so I, this is an ACAP podcast, in case, in case you weren't already aware. But like, oh, fuck that. That's gross. Whatever. And it was interesting to me because like, so through a lot of the beginning of this, he talks about how um, so his dad was an actor and his mom was uh she stayed at home because it was like the 50s and early 60s his dad had success and was like sometimes consistently working, but he was one of those people who always had like a business idea. And so they would like sink all this money into like a restaurant and then it would be okay for like three or four years and then would go under. So he was like, I think I turned to law enforcement because it was like ordered and structured in a way that like my growing up wasn't. Yeah. Um, When he was like 11 or 12, his dad just like peaced out his brother was like 13 or 14 because it was the 60s. There wasn't a ton of financial solvency for women. So his mother and younger sister went to go live with, I think, his mother's parents. And he and his brother were sent to go live with relatives, like um, in Northern California. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, yeah, when you say fractured family, that's, yeah, that's a and- lot. It's presented in a way that's very much like, I was a kid and it was just what my life was. Like, Mm -hmm. I knew it wasn't totally normal, but I was also like, okay, well, what else are we going to do? So he's like very close with his brother, which is cool, or at least he was when they were younger. And um, they did that like ROTC cop program together. And um, after they graduated college, they, or after they graduated high school, they like road tripped around the U.S. on motorcycles. Wow. Yeah. And they, like, found themselves in uh, Daytona and were sort of incremental instrumental in helping to, like, start a theater company there. Not, like, start one, but, like, they took one over because the management fired the artistic director. So he Weird. and his brother sort of, like, stepped in. Yeah. Uh, already, like, on the can we franchise this, that's the story I want to see. Exactly. Exactly. Like, that's, that's so interesting. Yeah. This, like, young kid who, like, doesn't really know what he wants to do. He had taken, like, a handful of acting classes in, like, high school and then in college. He and having, like, like an a distant father who did it. Drew Barrymore has some weird stuff coming from, like, being both a member of but also relatively estranged from the Barrymore family. Oh, right. And how yeah. then that decision to, like, go yeah, into acting, a decision that was pretty much made by her mother. I'm sure. For her. And, like, wasn't exactly the most healthy thing, but, like, how that impacted her and how, like, having that name affected her life. So this idea of, like, you find yourself doing the same thing that a parent did, but yeah. you don't necessarily have the warmest relationship with, with said parent. Yeah. is It's just an interesting idea. And, like, uh, I like when familial dynamics and, like, I'm a sucker for a generational story. Hashtag, same. this is us. Um, <laughs> slightly different. You like a prestige generational story. Sure. But I mean, it's, you know, six of one. But that idea of like, you have a lot of distance from this person and yet you wind up making the same choices as these this person is very interesting to me. I a thousand percent agree. And he is aware of that too. He's not, he's like, I was intrigued by acting and I was fascinated by it and I didn't really understand it. And I probably would have pursued it more readily right away. Once I was exposed to it, had my dad not been an actor. Mm -hmm. It was like, I saw how transient his life was. I saw how it was like great for a few years and then really lean for a few years. And I just didn't want that. Um, And he was like, but as I got older, I started to realize it was like Because he started out on the producing side when he and his brother were like handed this theater to run, which is also the most white man thing of the 70s. But anyway, Uh, white men throughout history have been handed things like for which they were in Daytona very minimally equipped. Yeah. Um, But it does seem like he had like a good head on his shoulders. He is by his portrayal of himself in here is incredibly like rationally thought minded that was a very clunky way of saying that but he thinks very rationally i he's also an older person to have written a uh, a memoir which is interesting he's he's not quite elton john catherine hepper and level old writing this but he's certainly older than a lot of our like mid 40s who will probably uh, first, write first foray book. who will probably write another book at some point in their life like this feels like his his kind of one and done shot on this totally it's interesting to see him assess such emotional situations so logically yeah he talks about the first time he mentioned it he mentions it. he talks about how he had like a rating system for how he rated his various security jobs which was like what he did before he was an actor because he had all that cop training he had so much cop training because he was a cop so he would get like he worked security like overnight he would like rate the different jobs on a scale of like one to five x's and like one was bad and five was like the best Mm-hmm. And then later in the book, he talks about how after Breaking Bad, like everyone was throwing scripts at him left and right. And so he had to come up with like a point a, a rating system, system for that to be like, yeah. which of these are even worth my time and like thinking about. So I was like, oh, that's so interesting that like, here's one thing that's so logical that sort of like makes sense to be like, on a scale of one to five, this was my favorite job. But then here you are like evaluating something so different from that with like all these factors. And like, he really came up with like a point system for it. I just thought that was interesting. That's just a very different way of thinking than I think either of us really live in. Agreed. Like we'll we'll like weigh we'll weigh pros and cons to situations, but like never have I sat down and been like, okay, I'm gonna make a numeric scale about how much and like that it it takes a little humanity out of it, which I think for some people is a very helpful, helpful. tool. Yeah, uh, for me. Not so knowing how much my emotions affect all of my everyday interactions, I need to think about them when I'm making yeah, a decision certainly. because totally. like, what's the point otherwise? <laughs> emotions are a part of my life. I cannot just <laughs> siphon them off. absolutely. So we've sort of danced around this, Carrie. Um what do you know? What is your experience of Brian Cranston? All right. I am sure I've seen some episodes of Malcolm in the Middle. I'm sure I have. It's not my show like it wasn't a show I grew up with but like I knew enough to know of him and uh I did enjoy the Frankie Munoz um is that I can't did I just put a lot of accent on his name or is his is his last name Munoz or is it Muniz Uh, it's Munoz it's Munoz right Munoz yeah okay I have to (laughs) M-U-N-O-Z I think people anglicized his name. I and People, it was, he was popular in a different time. But yes. like his last name is Munoz, right? Yes. Okay. Well, Frankie, who I don't like, I don't want to be the person that like. You don't want to Alex Trebek it. Mm-hmm. Genre. I'm not trying to genre his name, but I am also like trying to be more considerate than we of probably course. were in the 90s. But I did watch, he had a. Disney Channel original movie, Miracle and Lane 5 or something like that.
1: Someone will correct me
0: on the Lane number. But so I cared about Frankie Munoz a little bit in life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm sure I saw an episode or two. Sure. Brian Cranston has a recurring part on How I Met Your Mother. He does. And while How I Met Your Mother does not hold up, I have seen every episode multiple times. And (laughs) Uh, so, I'm very familiar with his performance on that. He's like really a ham on all of those shows. It's this yeah. very, he has this like sitcom theatricality that is very loud. Almost like Chris Sieber. Mm, very similar to Chris Sieber, but I would uh, die for Chris Sieber and I would not die for Brian Cranston. You okay. know who would have been a great Walter White? Chris Sieber. Wait, redo the whole show. We might like Breaking Bad a lot <laughs> more. Wait, you just broke my brain. A I little really bit. broke Kara's brain because I'm but just imagining I, that now. Anyway, I do think it's time to get to the Breaking Bad of it all. Yes. I like the show Breaking Bad. I do. I enjoy too. it. I do too. Better Call Saul is a better show. Agreed. And no one can convince me otherwise. Agreed. I think that Vince Gilligan tells great stories, mm-hmm. uh, he's the creator of Breaking Bad. Sometimes I realize that we go so deep into like. Our I feel sometimes we have to, to them, like, Let me give you an explanatory comment here. Yeah. Um, but I think Ben Skilligan it creates good television. I think that the show overall works. I, and I think you are the person who told me this before, Kara. But the single most interesting thing that Walter White does happens in the first episode of the show. Like he makes the most interesting, most dynamic character choice he ever makes is in the first episode. In, in the first episode. Yeah, and. Other characters around him are doing interesting things, but Walter White isn't that character for me. I must've read that somewhere. That sounds way too smart to be something I've said. Well, you told me it, so I credit it to you. Thank you. So I think that the show is really good. And I think that Walter White maybe would annoy me less if people didn't attach themselves to the show so much. Definitely. It was in 2016, it was how I felt about Bernie Sanders. (laughs) Exactly. It's very similar. It's this, um, you're right. It's a good show, but like the way that you ride out about it and and the way people ride specifically for Walter White, there are people who like think he's cool. And it's a very like, who like think he did the right thing. You're missing the point of the show, right? It's, it wasn't written that way. Like Vince Gilligan doesn't, doesn't, put off that narrative but that's what you're taking from it right it's a little i've seen it compared to cartman from south park of people who like think cartman is like a hero when like the, the joke is that cartman is wrong about everything right like, is a dick yeah the problem with the slew of anti-heroes that were created between two like a uh, circa 2009 i'm talking about a don draper i'm talking about a walter white i'm sure i'm talking about some other men um, a Tony Soprano was Tony sort of, Soprano yeah mm-hmm. the the age of prestige television and the men that were the face of it and Brian Cranston for some reason like gets the brunt of my anger on that but it's also because I think it's like, because he was the most lauded mm, and he had he had the biggest shift right Career-wise. because yeah. yeah and so there was this like he can do anything because he did comedy and then this like how it brilliant dark, is dark he old. and like yeah. even thinking about the tone of this memoir is very different than if he only had booked malcolm in the middle and how i met your mother agreed like he was a working actor who could have written a book that people would have cared about i don't think he even talks about how i met your mother on here i i can't imagine he would he i mean it was a pretty substantial guest spot he was in multiple seasons of the show but but also like not every episode in those seasons right yeah my experience is pretty much the same as yours. When he was like suddenly everywhere because of Breaking Bad, I recognized his face from Malcolm in the Middle, but that was really my only um, context for him yeah. for Breaking Bad. Um, I, I'm sure I said this on the pod before, but because we were talking about it, I <laughs> was convinced by a friend to watch the first couple seasons of Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. before i had seen breaking bad just because of ray seahorn uh she just my friend thought i would like it mm-hmm. um as a whole she was like i know Breaking Bad's not your thing but like please just like give this a try she was like if she was like i'll explain things if you don't get it but like please just please try watching this and i was like okay 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 so i watched it was incredibly into it went back after i had watched the first like two or three seasons of better call Saul and watched all of breaking bad appreciated it much more. I had tried to start it a handful of times. It was not for me, but once I had some context for the world, I was like, okay, this is like interesting and um from a storytelling standpoint, it's incredibly interesting to see. He mentions in here that like this was he says it's the first time that a character has like changed on TV, which I don't agree agree with i mean like he cites tony soprano as an example what do you mean uh, and that a character has changed on tv like he thinks that he's a dynamic character over the course of that show yes i don't i disagree i i think there are other dynamic characters i think there are other characters whose shift is more incremental and i think going back to what you said the uh most interesting and the, the biggest shift that is made is in that first episode. And there are much more horrific things that he chooses and chooses to do throughout the course of the show. But because that it's like taking that first leap off a cliff. I don't know. I just, I don't know that I agree with that assessment at all. I, I think that there are other, like there's very little inner turmoil with him throughout the whole show. Right. It's like, I'm doing this because it it's what has to be done. And I don't think it's being evaluated in his mind as a character because... And if that was supposed to be happening, it wasn't shown. So that's either a... I also think that like the way this maybe, I don't know if this is correct, but I think that the way that men perceive and evaluate change is very different from the way that people who are not men do that yeah does that make sense like it does it does but then there's there's i take responsibility aaron paul right (laughs) next to him in all those scenes like aaron paul takes responsibility number Uh one number two aaron paul like has inner turmoil and changes throughout the whole course of the show just just mean it's the first time a protagonist has done that yes yes because because i would argue that's fair i think that's true on a lot of uh a lot in a lot of television, the protagonist is the most flat character, and it's everyone around them who's, who's more change. dynamic, yeah. exactly. And, and he uses Tony Soprano as an example. He's like, You see Tony Soprano's turmoil, but like from A to B, he doesn't really change that much. Same with Don Draper, like you see the choices. I never that, made it through Mad Men, so it's fine, but I didn't either. Which I mean, whatever, <laughs> it was very pretty and boring. Yeah, I agree. And I love boring, but it was too boring for you. Too me. boring. I know. I have, I watched multiple seasons and I couldn't tell people what it was about. I have no idea what the conflict was in that show. I watched the first two seasons. Right. It was like a lot of ennui. It was a lot of, um, okay, I don't know if this is a reference that will hit with you, but I feel like people whose favorite book is The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Yes. Yes. Their favorite TV show is Batman. Yeah. There's a, it's an aesthetic. It's an aesthetic more than it is uh, an engaging piece of fiction or media of any kind Yes. It's a, it harkens to a time that people are nostalgic for. Yes. And as you know, I hate nostalgia. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've cut you off so many times in trying to talk about Walter White. No, it's okay. Um, I haven't said anything here that I haven't said before on this podcast or to your face. I do think Walter White is the inspiration for a podcast that Karen and I haven't made yet, but will likely make one day, which is called The Worst White Guys on Television. Yes. Um. And our our biggest argument is often between who's the worst? Well uh Brian Cranston as Walter White versus uh mm-hmm. Tony Goldwyn as Fitz from Scandal. Yes. And those are our like those are the two worst white men ever on television. I would almost argue that because well, okay. Because of the power dynamic of Fitz, because he was the leader of the free world. Yes but because he's presented as a romantic lead whereas like we're not supposed to like Walter White the presentation of Fitz is different yes we're not supposed to like Walter White that's the that's the challenge is that it's like scandal wants you to like Fitz scandal wants you to feel the same pull when Olivia is choosing between Fitz and Jake correct even though it's like don't cast Scott Foley if you want me to root for the other for guy someone else. Ever. I've been trying to get behind Owen Hunt for years, and I can't do it because Teddy used to have Scott Foley. J.J. Abrams, the first person to make that mistake, yes. Scott Speedman didn't stand a chance. He did not. He did not. Although in real life, he was the one that Carrie Russell was dating during that. So I didn't know that. That's yeah, she revealed that recently, actually, during the 20-year anniversary <gasps> on like Jimmy Kimmel or something. She was like, Well, and Scott and I were dating during that time. And then she like kind of said it and she was like, Yeah, well, whatever. It's <laughs> yeah. she doesn't care. <laughs> she doesn't care. She has a family with Matthew Reese. She's right. fine. <laughs> yeah. Something that we should all aspire to. <laughs> we should all <laughs> aspire to have a family with Matthew Reese. Uh-huh. Oh. So anyway. 400 tangents later um carrie there's obviously a lot we want to discuss in here um but this book was 271 pages and we don't have time to cover the entire thing so instead i'm going to pick one iconic chapter in this case it's sort of like a chunk because the chapters are like two pages long all good we've all cheated in a game of guess that chapter before we have who Um, hasn't who among us who let he who is without the first i don't know let um, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Come on, you got to at least retain that one. Thank you. Thank you. Catholicism, baby. <laughs> um. So, Carrie, it's time to play Guess That Chapter. So, I'm going to list out settings and characters for you. The settings are LA and New York. Cool. The characters are Brian Cranston, Vince Gilligan, Matthew Broderick, what? Steve Zahn. <gasps> Stevie's. Tom Hanks and Lawrence Fishburne. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I will say Steve Zahn's role is admittedly very small, but I could Doesn't not matter. Doesn't matter. He made it in. Chapter without mentioning his very brief mention. Okay. Wow. Well, so this is a real, I imagine that this is like the pitch for Breaking Bad and, and that, The types of men going out for this role are, I don't think that Tom Hanks was someone that they could get, but maybe they wanted a Tom Hanks type for this role. They wanted like America's dad, basically. And somehow, and like Matthew Broderick falls into a similar role as, as Bryan Cranston. Like, yes, honestly, Matthew Broderick one way. You hate Matthew Broderick. I hate Matthew Broderick. King of vehicular manslaughter, Matthew Broderick. (laughs) There was an, like, an eater or Grub Street diet, one of those things, uh, for Sarah Jessica Parker, and she was talking about all the things that, like, she would eat in a week, and she talked about how, like, Matthew Broderick sits at home trying to perfect this, like, bean soup recipe, (laughs) and it is, and every, it was, like, it went, it was viral on a very specific section of the internet the day Uh it came out. sure. And for me, it was it was all of these people finding yet another reason to love Matthew Broderick. And it was yet another reason for me to continue to despise him. Like, also, I have all this pent up rage that used to go towards Jennifer Aniston and it has to go somewhere. And apparently that somewhere is Matthew Broderick. That's well, you know what? I am happy that you have an outlet for that even though it is someone who I love uh-huh. him and his bean soup. So uh, essentially you are correct. Um, I did that thing where I kind of combined two different stories that are told in the same chunk of time. So yeah. Can't wait to find out what Lawrence Fishburne has to do with any of this. You'll see. It's, it's so fun. I've been so excited to do this because the amount of trivia that lives in my brain re this is insane. So um so this is a story you kind of already knew a little bit about, it seems like? Yes, but like the, the details, I was vague on. Okay. I knew like the setup to the story. I didn't know some of the like inside tidbits. So the setup to this story, which I already knew, which is confirmed in this book, is that um, in 1999, Brian Cranston was on an episode of The X-Files. You've told me that before, and that that is how, and Vince Gilligan wrote for The X-Files, correct? Correct, yes. It was one of his first big jobs. And um, he, in my opinion, wrote some of the show's best episodes. He played this guy who had to keep driving his car at like 80 miles per hour. Otherwise, his head would explode. <laughs> uh, so like a human version of the movie Speed. Yes, 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 yes. And um, he was very intense in that role, and um, but also apparently very nice to work with. And so uh, Vince Gilligan remembered that. And then 10 years later. When That's and was- Skillian's whole deal, right? Like he's kind of branded as like a really nice a person nice wife to guy. be around. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's got like big wife guy energy. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like this was the other thing I meant to mention from uh, Book in 60 Seconds. It sounds like uh, Brian Cranston has some wife guy energy as well. He does. Yes. I think he has mellowed into wife guy energy. Mm. I, I think, well, that just means that a lot of the folks surrounding Breaking Bad have wife guy energy. I will say that Aaron, I take responsibility. Paul has the worst wife guy energy. It's there, Um, but it's presented in such a way. And I do already now know what I'll be doing during Mama Let's research because I will be reading aloud the captions the from Aaron Paul's <laughs> Instagram about his wife. But never mind. Continue. Tell me about uh, Vince Gillian, The X Files, and Bryan Cranston. Yes, that was where he met Bryan Cranston. It's also where, um, like, half of the writing staff of Breaking Bad he knew from X Files. Bryan Cranston at this point was like a sitcom dad. He was like, yeah. I was. He was like. I felt very fulfilled doing those roles. He got his start working on soap operas. And so it's like you have to imbue a lot of emotion and a lot of emotional truth into something that you have like less than 24 hours to prepare yeah. for. So he was like, I feel like I had been to like TV boot camp. Yeah. And like, and so it was nice to have something that I could like sink my teeth into and that I had time to work with. And that was the kind of person that they were considering for this role, someone with like who had a positive image who then they were gonna flip and turn. Makes a nice. lot of sense. It's it's interesting that they really wanted they wanted that preconceived notion like that really mattered to them. I right. I find that not enough television creators are thinking about the weight of celebrity that people carry into their roles, which we were talking about when um, I don't remember if it was on mic or off mic, but we talked about with Jennifer Aniston and the Morning Show. Yes, she is a force, and that she brings that to Nancy and Pharrell. similarly, it was they made the wrong choice with Reese because you couldn't take away all of her star power yes she was too big of a name to do that role that role needed to go to someone without that same clown yeah i i find that um almost every project nicole kidman is in people are not thinking about what she brings to it comes in with as nicole kidman that's a very good point but anyway all that to say a la brian cranston both steve zahn and matthew broderick were being seriously considered for the role as well Steve Zahn was almost Walter White. Mm-hmm. He's not big enough and he doesn't he doesn't have the dad energy uh, to uh, maybe maybe it's just because I am still in love with Steve Zahn. You don't want to see him. You don't want to think that he could be capable of those things. But I don't. But like he didn't have book roles like that. No. He was booking fun role like he was the quirky sidekick in like five to 10 different movies. I, di- I didn't see him make that transition. Like, actually, in the same time that Brian Cranston is booking Breaking Bad, that feels like around the time of, I guess, no, I guess there are probably years in between, but I was just rewatching that thing you do and you've got mail so many times that Steve Zahn was yeah. Steve's on. Steve's on is timeless to me, to you. So he talks about how it was something that he like really wanted. It was the first time in his life that he had been like, oh, I feel like I could do this. Um, And that he was like the right person for it. Um, And then he heard his name thrown around with these other people. And he was like, I don't know. Like, he was like, I think I would be the best person for it. But I don't know if the network will see it that way. They did, obviously. I can see Matthew Broderick booking that over him in a heartbeat i'm actually kind of surprised he didn't i am too steve's on to me really wasn't actually in the running that wasn't much. actually a contender like i yeah. can't imagine that he there are so many people that every time we say the name steve's on they have to go look up who that is yes you don't have to Hopefully like not anymore because of this that they've had to do it so many times that he now lives in their heads run free <laughs> this is the steve's on podcast uh-huh as on appreciate as the Sans is coming, everybody! Wow, Renaissance meets Renaissance in a romantic <laughs> comedy for the ages. I'm cutting this and pitching it tomorrow. Done. <laughs> I'll have a treatment on your desk by Monday morning. <laughs> so, yes, all that to say, he feels like he's finally come into his own. One is an actor, he like trusts his abilities, and also he is in a place where the network wanted him, the creator wanted him, they fought to get him this. And he feels like he finally has some, like, leverage for the first time in his career. He talks about a handful of times when he was working on sitcoms and smaller shows where, something, where like, a, something was going on on set that he, like, didn't necessarily agree with. And because he is a straight white man, he felt comfortable saying something. Usually not in, like, an asshole way. No, no, no. I'm actually, like, I'm feeling, like, the weight of Janet Hubert as you say this. Yeah. Because... Yeah he can. And I'm glad he did. And I'm glad he's been in these situations and has said something. And I'm also infuriated that it takes that, that he he has has had a career. That he's fucking Walter White. He's, he is a household name and people don't know who Janet Hubert is. And because she did the exact same thing. She did the exact same thing. She did it once and it ruined her career and he has continued to do it. And I do not fault him for it. He is no. doing the right thing. I fault the system that has betrayed yes. black women. Absolutely. And he even mentions there are sometimes where like other people feel uncomfortable. Mostly uh, like his female co-stars Yeah, are like feeling uncomfortable by something. And he, because he knows that he has, his opinion has more weight. He's able to be like, hey, I don't think we should do this scene this way. Or like, this seems uncomfortable. Or like that electrician is like, making comments about people's bodies like can we do something about him yeah oh this is gonna make me like brian cranston isn't this well yes and no He's had some of those experiences in the past where he's felt comfortable enough to bring something up, but he's not always heard. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's like, well, the network says this or it's like the producers just don't want to go in that direction, especially on a soap where it's like everything happens so quickly. There's like not really time to like second guess a decision. People are like, this is the decision that the producers have made. This is what's going to happen in five episodes, your character will die. Yeah, Not that it was like a punishment for anything, but like, so he's like, so I was finally on this show where I felt like I had leverage and he was like, I appreciated, And he talks about a few times where like, I as a person who I would say is generally conflict averse, he brings things up that would make me be like, ooh, like if he doesn't agree the way that a scene is being blocked or like there's a line in a scene and he thinks it will... He thinks it's like overkill. He thinks like I my action in the scene has already made the audience dislike me. I don't need to say something else on top of it to additionally make them Again, me. that's like a Janet Hubert would do that kind of stuff too. And those are always the ones that I'm like, why? But to be fair, I've never worked in that environment. And like, you're the face of that character. I have been rewatching New Girl and I promise this is going to connect. No but go. sometime in the first season, the character of Jessica Day has to say, like, you gonna three-peat this hoe? When are we gonna meet this bitch? And the look, like everything about it feels awful. And it's like, oh, this line shouldn't have been written that way. And sometimes it does take someone in the room to speak up. And and I every when I hear that line, like I know I said it word for word because <laughs> I hate it with every fiber of my being because it doesn't make any sense that the character would say that. Yeah. And so like, I understand like wanting to be protective of certain things or like, it's all much so much more collaborative than I'm really able to understand. And, yeah. but there's also a part of me who's like, shut up. You're an actor. Totally. Which, but at the same time, there's another part of me that's like, I always, when I am one of many people at the front of a room say the best idea wins. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not always my idea. It's not always the director's idea. It's not always whoever. I respect and appreciate that while also acknowledging the privilege. And he also, I think, acknowledges the privilege that allows him to make these decisions. He talks about like, so because they shoot in New Mexico and the writer's room is in California, people will fly out if they're like working on the episode. But some, but it's not like the entire team is there for however many months they're shooting so he talks about several times where like he would call the writer or like the producers would call the writers and be like, hey, we're on set. And like they just re the scene. Like, I don't think that's what you want it. Kind of like tattling yeah. in a shitty way. And that's when he was like, I don't get it. Like, we've all agreed. The director thinks that this is better. Like, why can't we do this? Yeah. And knows that his voice carries a lot of weight. So I did respect him a lot for that. Yeah. I think it sounds like he is aware of the power that he has and is trying to wield that power responsibly. Totally. He talks about this moment where um, at a rap party um, for one of the seasons, he and Aaron Paul buy out a bowling lane or bowling alley for everybody and, like, invite the crew and there's, like, food and everything. And um, an, uh, I think it's, like, a PA is super drunk and, like, being gross to people. One of whom is Aaron Paul's future bird wife, (laughs) not little bird and uh, a little baby bird wife who can feed herself. The the next day they go to the producers and they're like, we want this guy fired. Like he's grossing people out. And he had also like been hitting on actors and like, yeah, but the only thing that mattered was that it happened to Aaron Paul's bird wife. He was also like, that's the only time I've ever seen Aaron Paul mad. I see. I've seen Aaron Paul mad in the NAACP I Take Responsibility video. There's only a time that he was mad at someone else. Okay, yeah, that's true. He was really, he was internally, he was mad at himself pretty bad. Yeah. Because he takes responsibility. responsibility. In our show notes, I will link to this I Take Responsibility video. It was just peak June of 2020, people (laughs) learning about racism and actors needed to do something about it. And what they decided to do was take responsibility. And make a black and white video (gasps) talking about it. So that's why I keep saying, Aaron, I take responsibility, Paul. And I will be doing that for the rest of the episode and for the rest of his life. I love that. The day that man dies, I will be on whatever social media exists reposting that video. (laughs) The day. I'm not going to wait a minute. His bird wife can sue me. Retweet. But yeah, they go to the producers about this guy and they're like, we already fired him. Like as soon as we found out. But yeah, essentially, he is uh, appreciates and use he respects and uses the power that he is aware that he has on this show, which I really like about him. Yeah, that's great. Um, also, a funny—I don't know if it's like funny, but it is sort of funny in like the 9-11 way of it all. Sure. He talks about at this rap party at the bowling alley where the guy is being creepy. Is they find out that Osama bin Laden has been killed? Okay. And he gets up on the microphone and he's like, hey, everyone, you know, there's no drink tickets. Everything's free. Um, the Navy SEALs have killed Osama bin Laden. And we have the place until midnight. So have fun. <laughs> yes. And everyone's like, oh, he's joking. And he was like, oh, no. He's like, maybe I wasn't clear. That was serious. And everyone's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so weird i will say i i absolutely know that that happened in 2011 because i was a senior in college yes. and i remember people we know like chanting in the streets yelling we got him like yeah. it was a really weird form of uh Patriotism. That was probably the moment where I fully disassociated with patriotism and was yes, like, because I was like, this is gross. It's still, a, <laughs> even though like, it's like good. Monster. I was like, Ugh. but like yeah. also like, we sh- we we don't chant in the streets when someone is murdered, right? I, I, I like, don't. Maybe it seems that I thought that was a universal truth, and I learned that day, it wasn't. Agreed. Well, anyway, Brian Cranston thought it was something to celebrate. <laughs> The one thing that I did read in here that really made me balk Mm -hmm. at Brian Cranston is when he talks about, and I will tie this back to the chapter at hand. Um, So he uh, met this woman when he was working at that theater company in Florida, they got married, they were married for like four or five years um, and divorced very amicably. Um, Years later, a few years later, he was dating this woman who he refers to as Ava. I don't know if that's her real name. He they have a very like tumultuous, like violent in a mutual way. Not like physically, but like the relationship is very volatile, mm-hmm. going from like fighting to you know, like tearing each other's clothes off, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then he gets a job in New York and he's like, okay, they, they were like, you know, in the process of breaking up. And then he gets a job in New York and he's like, I'm leaving, you know, we're done. We're over. I'm breaking up with you. She follows him to New York and proceeds to like stalk him and By his account, genuinely be kind of scary. Like, call him and leaving messages like, I'm going to kill you. I know where you live, blah, 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 blah. Oh, no. It is revealed that she has some mental illness issues as well as a substance abuse problem. Okay. But he describes this night where he had gotten a threatening phone message from her, one of many. And then it was like, I'm on my way. I'm going to find you, blah, blah, blah. Like, 30 minutes later, she's like banging on his door. Oh, no. And he's like, in his living room sort of like paralyzed of like I do believe that this person like if she wanted to could like kill him could kill me and then proceeds to describe himself going to the door opening it up letting her in taking her by the shoulders and smashing her head against the wall oh no described in such detail that I did genuinely think that he had committed homicide then he goes on to say i blinked and of course, none of that had happened. I was still sitting in my bedroom. Why did he include that in that book? Exactly. And he was like, but then I knew that I was like capable of something and it scared me. And I was like, why did you put that in there? You know how Kara makes fun of me for liking Adam Driver Oh. I do but your best point you've ever made is that he's so good at yelling at women in scenes that you think there must be a part of him that is really capable of doing that. Yes. And this is the same kind of thing. This is like, why did you, also like, I kind of have an issue with like, if this story, if this relationship isn't like a major factor that changed something in your life, I'm not sure you need, I don't know that you need this story, especially if it's someone that, has already suffered so much. Yeah. Like, it goes back to that, like, you don't get to hold a grudge if you have all the power. Like, you don't, it can still affect you. I'm not sure that was his story to tell. Even though he's a part of it, I don't know, it's hard without having read it, but I hate that he included that. That is unnerving in a really gross way. It was the moment for me when this book went from being fascinating and interesting for me like starting to actually examine it critically and be like oh maybe I'm like not all in on this. Yeah. Um but anyway all that to say in preparing for the role of Walter White he says that one of the things that scares him about this character is that he here is this person who does not think himself capable of much and then finds himself doing things that he never thought he would do. And he was like I really identified with that. I thought about that scary time when I perceived that I might be capable of doing something like that and he was like and so it gave me again he like spins it in a positive way and it was like it gave me more respect it gave me more like perspective on how this person actually did end up making that decision and did end up taking people's lives and he was like I'm glad that it was just a role and that it wasn't me yeah but it was also the part of the book where I was like okay (laughs) I don't know if I'm 100% on board with this yeah, I I think he thinks he's doing something more than he is there. Like it it feels like he thinks by writing about this he's like revealing a truth about himself, but it if anything it doesn't reveal the truth that he thinks he's revealing. Like Exactly. At least not to me. It shows me that you it's, it's almost worse because like he knows how he has all this power and he mostly uses it effectively, but there's still part of him who's like, but I could do something different if I wanted to, I could, I could have gotten anybody fired on that show. I could have done this. I could have like, exactly. he, he knows he has this power, which I do think that like, he's not the first man to know he has a lot of power sure. and to not you and to mostly use it effectively. But like, yeah it's almost like there's a checklist, like he's counting all the good things so that if he decides to do that one bad thing, he has all these other great things that he's done that can absolve him of it. That's fascinating. Yes. It feels really icky. Can you tell me how Tom Hanks and Lawrence Fishburne connect to this story? I surely can. So in the years during Breaking Bad, he's like, I had always... He's like, for most of my life, I had made a living as a working actor. But now here in my 50s, I was like a celebrity and yeah. I had no idea what to do, which I know a lot of people talk about at various points in their life. I'm thinking notably of Kate Winslet after Titanic, but that's mm-hmm. like a very different thing. But um, he was like, I suddenly all of my relationships changed. He was like my normal, like regular people, friends, like suddenly their nieces and nephews were like asking me for autographs. Sure he was um he talks about how he and tom hanks developed a friendship because neither of them wanted anything from each other it was just like two dudes who could just like hang out and like he didn't want anything from tom hanks and tom hanks didn't want anything from him and they both like respected and appreciated each other's performances he talks about working on the movie contagion with Lawrence fishburne and they had like wrapped a scene and i guess it was shooting in new york because they were like let's go walk to get dinner or let's, you know, mm-hmm. go walk back to the hotel. And Brian was like, oh, I was just going to take a car. Cause it's like kind of a walk. And I don't want to like, and Lawrence Fishburne was like, you just got to keep moving and keep walking. You can wave, but like find a way to keep moving. He was like, don't stop. That's great that like Lawrence Fishburne taught him a useful skill. I do not, I'm back to not liking Brian Granston and I, uh, there feels like there's, uh a layer of shine on the like it feels like he showed his true self in that story and now everything else just feels like it's polishing over this like seedy underbelly of this human being i get that i get that which was something that i struggled with throughout the book which i'm sure is interesting and i mean like even the cover of this is like he's menacing yeah i and it's weird because i don't think his face would have been menacing in other situations i yeah i don't know it's interesting I've been thinking a lot about how, like, there is, like, prestige in his memoir in a way that, like, I have primarily been reading books by people who are significantly less famous, uh, a lot of Black women this season, and a lot of their books are framed, even like Janet Hubert's, the cover of Janet Hubert's book, and it's hard to judge all of that because so much of it was, like, her own creation, but they're all very, like, playful and coy and like positive positive and presenting themselves in super non-threatening ways Mm. and this man is both prestigious and a little threatening and those are things that he has access to that that he doesn't necessarily use but they're still at his disposal and he has to take responsibility (laughs) he has to take responsibility (laughs) <laughs> um, and, and the women that I've been reading a lot this season haven't have to work extra hard so that no one finds them threatening. Janet Hubert lost her career because she didn't play the game. Yeah, because she se- because her her career, her talent, her accolades were all too prestigious and and too threatening for one Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And Brian Cranston just has all of that at his disposal. He wouldn't have a book deal if he were the dad from Malcolm in the Middle still. Agreed. I mean, he would, but like, it wouldn't have the clout that this has. He could, but. And you know what? If he were still the dad from Malcolm in the Middle, he wouldn't have included that passage about the time he thought about murdering a woman. Exactly. Exactly. I, why would you, why would you include that? I know. That was my thing. I was like, it's what editor like was like, yeah, say this. A man. Oh, man absolutely it's Only funny because I, I had that this. exact same thought i was like who let him do this i wonder about honestly thinking about the woody allen section of michael j fox's book no mm. one told him to took that take that out it's because his editor was a man cuz cuz there's these oh my god like this is what this is why diversity is more than a buzzword because You need a diversity of thought around you. You need people who will tell you no. And celebrities are the first people who lose those people in their lives. They just lose anyone that will say no to them, and it becomes so clear. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. One more thing that you that that made me think of um, the beginning of this book, the very first, like I guess you would call it the intro. The foreword, if you will, is like Walter White's inner monologue during the scene where he lets, spoiler alert, but it's also been a fucking decade. So if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, you're not going to watch it. It's like Walter White's inner monologue when he's letting Kristen Ritter choke to death. And he like uses I, I'll, I'll just read you like the first. Go ahead. I can't help but knowing this and knowing the other story you told, it's just like, I don't fuck with this guy at all i like Ugh. it's so funny because i had such like i've gone on such a journey today there are a lot of good things about him yeah so here's how the the book starts that i read at the ripe hour of 8 55 a.m on the subway one day she stopped coughing maybe she'd fallen back asleep then suddenly vomit flooded her mouth she grasped at the sheets she was choking i instinctively reached to turn her over but then i stopped myself why should I save her? Is like how the book starts. So like, one, I know his editor told him to put that there because he knows that that's why people are reading this book. But then it's also interesting that he chooses to do it in such a... He he is not saying I'm not Walter White. He, he is actually cashing in on, and a team of people around him are cashing in on Bryan Cranston and Walter White are more alike than you think. Yes which is gross. Who the fuck wants to be like Walter White? You don't. Okay. We're going to talk about my white King problematic phrasing, but Jesse Plemons, Jesse Plemons isn't out here saying I'm just like Todd. Jesse Plemons is like, I'm an actor. I do the work. And then I go home to my wife, Kirsten Kirsten Dunst." Dunst. And that's it. And that's my life. I go, I do my little jobs, and I come home to my beautiful wife, Kirsten Dunst. And that's his And that's life. what matters. Yeah. Anyway, should we do some research? Let's. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more Celebrity Book Club. If you have any information regarding the whereabouts of the Ana de Armas' cutout, please contact Celebrity Book at gmail.com immediately. She was last spotted in a Pacific Palisades trash can wearing a white shirt and black pants. Hey, friends. Celebrity Book Club has merch now. You can find links to my shirts, stickers, tote bags, and more on all our socials. Check it out at Celeb Book Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Okay, so I think you and I both went into this break knowing what we are going to look up. We did. Uh, Mama, what'd you research? I researched one of my favorite pieces of, of pop culture uh, writing. It uh, was published on August 23rd, 2013. I think that was like right after Breaking Bad ended, which is insane that it was that long ago. Uh, yeah, was, uh, to me, the, the Breaking Bad finale week, like, is burned in my soul of like, that was happening at one of the worst times of my life. So it's extra. And the fact that that's that long ago is wild to me. It was written by Anna Gunn, who plays Skylar White on Breaking Bad. And uh, she wrote an op-ed called I Have a Character Issue. And it's basically about the um, hate that she received, literal death threats that she received while playing this role on this show. And... I just wanted to read this little paragraph for you. Do it. From the beginning, I was aware that she might not be the show's most popular character, but I was unprepared for the vitriolic response she inspired. Thousands of people have liked the Facebook page, I Hate Skyler White. Tens of thousands have liked a similar Facebook page with a name that cannot be printed here. When people started telling me about the hate boards for Skyler on the website of AMC, the network that broadcast the show, I knew it was probably best not to look, but I wanted to understand what was happening. A typical online post complained that she was a freaking, hypocritical heartbeat and didn't deserve the great life she has. I have never hated a TV show character as much as I hate her. One poster wrote, the consensus among the haters is clear. Skylar was a ball and chain, a drag, a shrew, an annoying bitch wife. Her husband made men. <laughs> imagine, imagine for a second, like, like. Okay, you want to treat these people like they're real people? Let's actually do it then. Imagine you have a home and a life and you are raising your disabled son and you have a brand new baby at like 40 and your husband starts making meth and she's the villain. And not just that, but lies about it. Has a second cell phone disappears for an episode whatever that I forget what that thing is called. like he has a traumatic episode they keep using the over oh, yeah. and over again someone will remember when they like get lost in the desert and the car won't start and yeah 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 and then he comes back and he throws the pizza on the roof yeah yes imagine if you really want to talk about Skylar White like she is a human being Which is what they're doing by saying that they hate her. But who can care about a character enough to do that? I love television. I eat, sleep, live, breathe television. I talk about television more than anything else. I consider myself closer to television characters than a lot of real human beings. Walter White made (laughs) meth. And that's the thing too, is that like, yes, for all that I do and sit here and I'm like, this guy sucks. At the end of the day, like, nothing is going to make me go to him and be like, hey, I hate your guts. Yeah, because I don't care that much. So I just wanted to throw that out there and sort of balance out all of the uh, talk that we have been doing about him. And uh, I just wanted to sort of show the other side of the coin, um, because it is something that I think about often, is this op-ed. And a fun fact, I read this op-ed for the first time ever on the subway, and then two seconds later I saw Rachel (laughs) trash. I like that those two moments are connected to you. (laughs) Um, Carrie, what did you look up? I looked up Aaron Paul's Instagram captions because I just think we should be talking about it more because we use the term wife guy in such a positive way. To us, a wife guy is someone who just like, genuinely loves their partner so much and like kind of wants Mm -hmm. to talk about it and has positive things to say. Is never the kind of person that even as a joke would make like a old ball and chain kind of joke. Yes. Yes. It's really the, it's the antithesis of something that is particularly uh, prevalent in straight culture, which is the king of queens of it all. The king of queens of it all. The, the idea that like you've been married for 20 years, but you don't like the person who you share a home with. No, I'll never get it. Like I, I understand if you are trapped in a marriage because of financial reasons or whatever, like if there are other things, but then that's different. It's the people who are like actually in love with their partner. And then you're like, Oh, it'll be 20 years. And then they'll be like, Oh, if we can make it till then. Yeah. It's like, do you not like them? What is going on? But there is another extreme. And that extreme is posting a picture of your then girlfriend who has um, like a chain headdress situation on. I I hate this couple with every fiber of my being, but Aaron Paul and, and they're out to eat somewhere and she has a fork in her mouth with what looks like no food on it because probably just taken a bite. Yeah. Maybe has just taken a bite. She's also a very thin person. So I think the way we eat are probably different, but I'm not going to do any sort of food shaming here, but Aaron Paul writes pretty bird providing food for herself kills me in the best way. Every time I love you so much, my little wife. Oh, so I guess they were married by this point. The way little is often associated with her, also, I think, is so. It's like infantilizing a little bit, yeah. It's infantilizing, but I also think like Aaron Paul's probably yes. a short king. I mean, I'd call him like a short prince or a short jester if if yeah. I were. He's going like not to. quite king status yet. He's definitely not king status. <laughs> I almost googled short king instead of googling. Aaron. <laughs> but so I think he's small. He so is. I he's think like she's this very. Of course, he's five eight, which means he's five five. A celebrity 5'8 is 5'5. Five five. Everybody knows that. Like me and shoes, we would be the same height. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But so I'm sure that little is often like he, a short king dates a woman or dates a person that is taller than them. A short jester has to be with someone smaller than them. And I think that is why Aaron Paul is a short jester, <laughs> which is what we're talking about in this Brian Cranston episode. But the idea of like, I love you so much, my little wife and pretty bird providing food for herself. Or at a Literally, restaurant, you cannot... first of all. <laughs> also, like, should she not be able right. to feed herself? Before before you married the little bird, what kind of women? Okay, Dang. I'm going to say something. What was happening that they couldn't feed themselves? I'm going to say something that is in keeping with how we speak, but might also be a little bit mean. Aaron Paul has extreme like sees a Navy recruiting table in his high school cafeteria and signs up and suddenly feels like he has an incredible sense of purpose energy. Yeah, he he is moved by the most yeah. basic thing. A la He feels like Reese Witherspoon 10 years ago oh, almost. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and that's probably not the perfect example, but someone who just like who just found out. About like he really did just learn about racism the day before the I take yes, responsibility. Like he knew that slavery video. was bad, but like he did not know that racism still existed. Yeah, he was like, Yeah, it's done. <laughs> I, I thought that this was I fine. Did. Yeah. But like this is my thing with Aaron Paul is like he really believes what he said in the I take responsibility yeah. video. There's there's an yes. earnestness that is almost inexcusable. Like it's almost embarrassing. It is. It's incredibly embarrassing. How are you impressed that this woman put a fork to her mouth and fed herself? Carrie and I talk about it often. Anyway, it took me a long time to find this post. But when scrolling, I realized that he posts a lot about Dos mm-hmm. Hombres, which is the mezcal he created with right. Brian Cranston. So he takes responsibility, but there are two white men that have their own mezcal mm-hmm. line. Are, are they indigenous to the places where Mezcal is grown? I don't think so. So you gentrified <laughs> Mezcal and are using your Breaking Bad clout to get it. Are you going to take responsibility for that? Are you donating you, the money from that? I am taking a lot out on Aaron Paul right now, but it's also Brian Cranston too. Like, why do you guys have a I Mezcal line? You didn't need that. You didn't need to diversify into alcohol for people who can't let go of Breaking Bad. <laughs> who just want to see the two of you together again. I can't believe it's very good. I also, to be fair, George Clooney and his Casamigos, like we should be talking about the way celebrities have gentrified alcohol that is not native to their culture. That's a very good point. Um, We just just need to acknowledge that's a problem. More prevalent than you would think. Anyway, I'm so glad that we've gone on this insane journey today. Thanks for coming with us. (laughs) Absolutely. A few insane. things before we sign off. Carrie, it's time to play Six Degrees of Don Cheadle where we connect the topic of this week's book to star of stage and screen Don Cheadle. Let's go. So Brian Cranston, um, like I said, we've received a lot of uh, movie role offers um, during and after his time on Breaking Bad. One of these films was Contagion where he met Lawrence Fishburne. Another person in Contagion is Matt Damon. Matt Damon, of course, is in the Oceans movies with to you, fantastic! All right, Brian Cranston, what starred on Breaking Bad with my personal king, Jesse Plemons, who played Todd. Jesse Plemons guested it in a single episode of gray's Anatomy where he had tumors all over his face and had they called it like lionitis. It's early in the Mark yes. Sloan. Mark Sloan did a pro bono case to. Fix his face, and then Jesse Plemons dies. Spoilers for an early yes. season of Grey's Anatomy. Uh, and they still they fix his face afterwards because it's what he would have wanted. Oh, it's a it's a great episode, and Jesse Plemons yes. is fantastic in it. Jesse Plemons uh, guested in that episode of Grey's Anatomy with one Chandra Wilson, uh-huh. Miranda Bailey. Miranda Bailey starred in the two thousand four, two thousand four Broadway musical Caroliner Change. Directed by one George C. Wolf, who directed Don Cheadle in a production of Top Dog Underdog at the Holy. public. Big ups to listener Isaac who helped us get to George C. Wolf and helped connect Don Cheadle to an actual star of stage as well as screen. I am absolutely losing my mind right now that Chandra Wilson was in Carolina Change. Can, Can she sing? sing? The thing is, I don't like. I don't I don't know I'm gonna to have to listen to it but I don't really like Caroline or change so good for her though I love that yeah also, incredible work. Oh, I'm, I'm proud of that. I forget you're Chandra Wilson's number one fan. I love Chandra Wilson. I remember when she first booked an ad for Pampers. Yeah, the We've voice of Pampers. Before. I don't need to keep telling you about how happy I was when Chandra Wilson booked her first commercial as a brand. Something we should talk about real quick is, can we franchise this? We would sort of touched on this earlier. I'll read you literally the sentence I typed word for word. Go for it. I think he has kind of had his day. I would be interested in learning more about his childhood, but even then I'm like, "Eh." I would want his childhood, but I don't want it as Brian Cranston's childhood. Like I don't, I think loosely take some characters rooted from it, but it doesn't need to be his and any proceeds from the franchise of this needs to be, uh, spent getting him into therapy or supporting women who have felt victimized by him because there's no way that someone has that thought and puts it in their book. And they also were a good partner in their entire life. There's some woman who has trauma because of Brian Cranston and imagine how much that would suck to see them become like a superstar. Not a great feeling to see a person who you know is an asshole succeed. <laughs> no. Are you, you're in agreement? We don't need to see any. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I don't really need anything. I do like the idea of, like, a road trip turned into, like, these Finding people purpose. find a new life. Whether it's, like, starting a, yeah, like, starting a theater, starting something. Like, they kind of get roped into something. But I definitely don't need his name attached it yeah. to be his, yeah. It's, like, I actually think loosely take that idea and do something totally different with it. Carrie, who are we doing next week? All right, it's time to play, I guess, that author. Uh, I'm going to give you three clues about what we're reading next week. And you can go from there. This person recently secured the bag with an eight-figure production deal. This person recently announced that their very successful first television series is going to come to a close after next season. And this person is so beautiful, I don't even know what to do with it. I just genuinely think she is one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen. It's true. So let's see if those clues help you out. And I can't wait to tell you all about this person next week. If you have a guest for next week's author, you can find us at Celeb Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Era can be found on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Kpro. That's underscore K-A-Y-P-R-O. Carrie can be found on Twitter and Instagram at c Talks A Lot. That's the letter C-F-O-S-T Talks A Lot. Thanks for listening to Celebrity Book Club.